Welcome to the Fit40 Podcast, where we take all the confusing, conflicting fitness and nutrition information and break it down so that you can live your healthiest, strongest, most energized life. I'm your host, Brian Fitzsimmons. Let's get it started. What's up, everybody? We got another weekly mashup today. We got three topics. First one is going to be expectations around weight loss and how much you can expect to lose and how fast you can expect to lose it. Uh, Second is going to be our sleep topic, basically just a bunch of tips on how to improve your sleep. And then last but not least is can you lose weight while drinking alcohol? Very, very hot topic. I know you're going to get a lot out of it. Hope you enjoy. The thing I wanted to talk about today was expectations as far as weight loss go because like you guys know i'm in a lot of the um the facebook groups like weight loss groups and uh semaglutide wagovi and all these like weight loss drug groups and kind of just to help people out as best i can try and get them in this group and also get a feel for like what people are struggling with and one of the big things is not really knowing what good weight loss is like not knowing what a sustainable rate of loss is and it really, I think, goes back to things like Biggest Loser and that one or that one friend, family member, or coworker that lost so much weight in such little time, and they look amazing now. And unfortunately for those people and the Biggest Loser contestants, that usually results in gaining all that weight back and then some. Because I know at least in the Biggest Loser, um, at least in that specific scenario, all of their contestants regained an average of 70% of their weight back. That's roughly about 100 pounds overall regained. And on top of that, their um, hormonal levels, especially hormones like leptin, which is responsible for helping you feel full, never got back to baseline compared to where it was before they started. So now they're hungrier, they gain the weight back, and they're more likely to gain that much more weight. And that's the same situation with a lot of people that are friends, family members, and things like that. We see this over and over again with these same types of people that they lose the weight, they do lose a huge chunk, like 30, 40, 50 pounds, and then it all comes right back. Because in the moment right now, it's like, wow, they look great. But then a year from now, they're nowhere to be found. Like It's like, oh, we didn't even realize they gained all that weight back. Now, some people do keep it off, which is awesome. But most times, at least when I've worked with people who have done that, they operate out of this place of fear of like, I'm so scared to eat anything that's quote unquote bad. I'm so scared to have one bad day because it's going to gain all that weight back because they didn't really learn any skills. They just kind of deprived themselves to the point where they got to their goal. And then they're like, all right, well, this is just how I have to live my life. And that's no way to live either. There's a right and a wrong way to lose weight. But when it comes to the right way, the best target to aim for is like on the high end is about 1% of your body weight. So in the beginning, you can get away with losing a little bit more than this because in the beginning, you're going to lose things like um, weight when it comes to water weight, glycogen, and things like that, and just not having as much food in your stomach all the time. So that's going to be part of the weight loss. But then after that first week or two, that's going to be normalized. And then you're back to that 1% ish range. So for somebody who's say 200 pounds, that would be two pounds per week. So if you're losing on average two pounds per week, you're good. Does that mean you're going to lose two pounds every single week? No, 
It does not. In fact, you may even gain weight some weeks, but that's why we always do things on averages over a long period of time. If your goal is to lose weight and you're operating day to day saying, oh, I didn't lose weight. Oh, I lost weight today. Oh, I didn't lose weight today. And you're on that roller coaster of emotions saying I suck or I'm on track, then good luck because that never ever works for anybody. And when they get to the end, they just feel like crap because they spent so much time hating themselves throughout the entire process. What is better for most people is to just pick a plan, stick with it for four to eight weeks. And then at the end of that four to eight weeks, that's when you hop on the weight or hop on the scale, you take your body measurements and you compare. And if you're down, you're good. That's it. End of story. You are on track if you are losing weight or inches, if that's your goal. Now, depending on how much you lost, there we could speed it up by improving like where your consistency is when it comes to calorie deficit and things like that. Um, it could also be a decrease in exercise so we can increase the amount of steps or amount of workouts. But regardless, if you're hitting that 1% mark, that's pretty much the top end of where you want to go. So like one thing I see a lot in these groups that I mentioned prior is like somebody will hop on and be like, oh, I only lost eight pounds in six weeks or, oh, I only lost one pound this week. And it's like, why is that a bad thing? It shouldn't be a bad thing. This is one of those things that gets mixed up. Like we see these biggest loser numbers in our heads where it's like, oh, I'm going to lose 10 pounds in one week and I'm only going to have to do this for a month. And what that really is, is just impatience. So if you really want to get like a good idea of how much weight or how long it'll take to lose the weight that you want to lose, take that 1% number. So again, if you're 200 pounds, that would be two pounds. And then whatever your goal weight loss is, divide that by that number. So say I, I'm 200 pounds, I want to lose 40 pounds, divide that by two pounds, that's 20 weeks. Okay. And in all honesty, ne like most people do not get to that point right at that time because we're human. We have times where we go on vacation, where we fall off for a little bit because work gets busy. We just like life gets in the way. So having a, a month or two on top of that is always a really good practice. And also taking diet breaks too, because losing a big amount of weight in a row without any breaks whatsoever can really have an impact on your body. Like those Biggest Loser contestants where their leptin levels just went, basically got cut in half and leptin again helps you feel full. If you're not getting the amount that you need, you're just going to be hungry all the time and it's going to lead to the weight regain. It's going to lead to feeling like crap. So it helps to do it in chunks. So everybody hears this like five to 10% number being thrown around when it comes to significant weight loss, when it comes to like medical, the medical field and statistics and studies and what they deem significant. So if you want to do it in a comfortable way, in the way that your body will be happiest, if you hit that five to 10% mark, so that if we're going by 1% of body weight per week, hey, that would be five to 10 weeks do that and then go into maintenance. So for those of you that don't know, when it comes to the calories, to get that weight loss, we need to be in a calorie deficit. That's a deficit from whatever your maintenance calories are. Everybody's is a little bit different, but for most people, it's way more calories than they think it is. All right. So 
say you're in that calorie deficit and you're losing that weight, that would, if you're losing about a pound a week, you're probably in about a 500 calorie deficit. And if you do that for five to 10 weeks, then after that, for another five to 10 weeks, because usually it takes your body about as much time as you were in a diet to bounce back. So if you do that for the same amount of time, five to 10 weeks of a diet, five to 10 weeks of maintenance by adding 500 calories so that you're now at that maintenance point and then go back into it. That's usually the best way to go about it. If you want to do it in the most healthy, most comfortable way possible. So in reality, now that we're doing five to 10 weeks of dieting, then five to 10 weeks of maintenance, double the amount of time it's going to take. So whatever it is, just plan on that and do your best with it. Because I know that this game is extremely frustrating, the game of weight loss. It can be incredibly, incredibly just soul crushing when you're looking at the scale all the time and you're thinking, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Oh, why can't I just be at my goal weight already? Okay. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough, but you got to find ways to distract yourself in the meantime. So having other things to work on other than weight loss can help a ton. Try and find things like weights in the gym, like some sort of a lift that you're trying to achieve a personal best on. If you're a runner, focus on like a run time because now with that decreased weight, you should be able to run a little bit further or a little bit faster. When it comes to sleep, okay, sleep is one of those things that you, it's a non-negotiable. If you really are trying to improve your health, improve your fitness, trying to lose some weight, like Sleep is one of those things that needs to be one of the foremost things that we focus on as as humans trying to do what's best for ourselves. Okay, now there's a bunch of different things that you can do to get that sleep. But before we dive into those, I want to just lay out some of the benefits, some of the downsides of like what people run into when they don't get enough sleep or when they finally do get enough sleep. So we'll start with the cons. Like when you don't get enough sleep, number one, you're dragging, like you don't have as much energy the next day. And guess what happens when you don't have as much energy the next day? You don't move as much. You don't do things at your desk. Like you don't tap your foot. You don't do um, random fidgeting at your desk. You're just a blob. Like you just sit there, which doesn't burn calories like you would if you were going to be well-rested and energized. So you are now not burning as many calories as you otherwise would be, which means you're not burning as much fat as you would be if you're in a deficit. And now another thing that gets affected is your decision-making process. When you are sleep deprived and you are trying to make the right decisions, it's that much harder. Okay. It's really, really hard to look at what the options are for lunch, for whatever you got go in front of your face, like snacks at the office and things like that and say, nah, I'm going to get the salad instead, or nah, I'm going to make a better decision. It's so much easier to be like, I'm going to grab a handful of those M&Ms. I'm going to um, go for pizza today instead of getting that healthy restaurant right next to it. It's very, very, very hard. And then on top of that, when we're sleep deprived, we're just irritable. We're just not our best selves. And that is one thing that we don't want to have happening over and over and over again. Nobody likes to live that way. And it usually just leads to stress, which stress will now negatively impact a lot of other things too. Because when we are stressed out, it's very common to have trouble losing weight and making the right decisions for the same exact reason. So now we got a double dose of 
negative stuff going on. Now, when we flip the script, when we are able to sleep, we do burn more calories. We do have better um, ability to control stress. We do have the ability to put more into our workouts and even show up for our workouts. Have you ever tried showing up for a workout sleep deprived? It doesn't really go that well. But when you show up well rested, you're like, wow, I feel kind of good today. Maybe I'll do a little bit extra. Maybe I'll stay a little bit longer. And that stuff adds up. Okay, so let's go through the things you could do to make sure that your sleep is awesome. Okay, that's that's the big one here. Let's see. There's my list. Okay, so number one is exercise because a lot of us have no reason to knock out at night. And then when we finally do exercise, it's like, holy crap, now I'm out. <laughs> but when we don't exercise, when we just keep putting it off and saying, nah, I can't do it. Oh, I don't have the time. Then we're just tired and wired all the time. And when we hit the bed, when we our head hits the pillow, it's like, okay, meant like physically, I feel like I should be able to knock out, but mentally, I just can't. Like there's a million things going on because of what we just talked about. We can't deal with that stress. We can't like let go of certain things because we are sleep deprived and it makes it that much harder. And on top of that, physically, maybe you are not tired enough. Like it is possible that when you hit the bed, you're just awake because you're like, well, I really haven't given my body a reason to be tired. And that is a big, big deal. Another thing is also sunlight. A lot of us, especially at this time of year, rolling out, going to work, it's still kind of dark out. We're under those fluorescent lights. And then as soon as we leave around like five, six o'clock, it's still dark out. So you get zero sunlight, which is horrible when it comes to your circadian rhythm. So if you can get some sunlight on you at any point in the day, but especially in the morning, like if you could go for some sort of a walk, like if you could take a lunch break and just walk outside for a little bit, it will do wonders. I know it sounds a little hippy dippy hoo-ha, but it definitely works. Next is caffeine. As you guys heard yesterday, I was taking a bit of a caffeine break because eventually with caffeine, you hit a wall where it stops working. It just doesn't do the same thing. And basically, you're just taking it to maintain your baseline, not to actually give you more energy. But it's like, oh, well, if I stop drinking it, then I'm going to be a lousy mess all day. I'm not going to have any energy whatsoever when you should be getting that energy from sleep. <laughs> but now we're trading sleep for caffeine. So if we can keep caffeine to a minimum, that would be great. Like 200 milligrams is like the most we would want in a day. But if you can take caffeine breaks here and there, just so you know, you only need like five days, give or take, give or take a day or two, depending on the person. It takes about five days to reset your body's um, sensitivity to caffeine. So if you can stick it out, if you can just make it happen, you may be pretty surprised at how much better your sleep is. Um, and then number what four is stress before bed. A lot of us are on our phones or watching the news or like having conversations that are just like making us want to stay up because we're jacked up. We're now stressed out. Okay. Especially the news. One of those things that you can do just for your overall mental health is to limit your news time. So if you have that one station that you always listen to Get your day in, like get your 10, 15 minutes in, and chances are you're getting all of your news for that day. Like, let's be honest. Most of the time, they're just 
throwing murders out at you that are happening left and right. They're throwing political stuff at you to try and get you excited, to try and get you passionate, to try and get you pissed off. Like they're not giving us any new information. It's just stuff that's meant to keep us on the hook and watching longer and longer. And some of us are suckers for it and it impacts our sleep. So let's not do that. Uh, Next is getting to bed earlier. And what I mean by this is not like set an earlier bedtime, which is yes, a good thing, but just getting into your bed earlier, because a lot of times we hop into bed and we're like, all right, I should fall asleep like now. And it doesn't happen. (laughs) Okay. We can't just knock out immediately. And then what happens when we don't knock out immediately is we bring our phone to our faces. We bring our phones to bed. So if you can get some distance from that phone and allow yourself just to be in the bed, just relaxing and just winding down and not thinking about anything, then awesome. And if you have a, like, I know it's not ideal. We don't want to be in front of screens before bed, but I know I'm guilty of this. Like me and my girlfriend will put on a show that is light, that is easy. Like we're on Curb Your Enthusiasm right now and we're laughing, but we're still winding down. And my body has gotten into a rhythm where it's like, all right, 10 minutes of just seeing Larry David. And then all of a sudden I am out. So another good thing too, is just to get into rhythms. So consistently doing the same thing before bed while you're going to bed all the time is awesome. Okay, your body will pick up on these things. Your body will start to actually dial down as you start doing the same things over and over and over again. So if you always do say, brush your teeth, then you comb your hair, then you, I don't know, like I put on my nasal strip at night and it's like a whole routine and you just do it in the same order every time. You'll feel your body start to come down a little bit and get a little more tired as you do it which is good. And then last two are um, temperature and blackout. So basically making sure that your temperature is the right temperature to fall asleep. I know personally, I need it under 70 degrees. If it's a degree more, and Amanda gives me so much crap about this, I am a diva when it comes to my sleep. But if it's like a degree over 70 degrees, I just can't sleep. So figuring out what works best for you, what your temperature is, is a very good idea. For most people, it is like around 69, 68, maybe 67 degrees, because we like being cold and being warmed up uh, by the covers. Um, But uh, for just so you know, for like, I know in this, in this group, and for people that are going to be listening to this on the podcast, I know that for the population that is in menopause or perimenopause, this can change. So having options helps a ton. So if you are in that perfect temperature and you're good at the start of the night, but then you get way too cold, then make sure that you can toss it off, but make sure that you don't go too far in the other direction. So if you have different layers of blankets that can help. So one really heavy one, one medium one and one light one, that way you still get that sensation of I'm under the covers and it can help with that. Another thing too, is like, say that you start off at a certain temperature and then you get really hot. Having something like a chili pad is a very, very good idea. And a fan to like blow on you too, can be a very, very big help. And also for anything like somebody with hot flushes, like having an extra pair of clothes ready to go so you could swap out really, really fast and not wake yourself up, that can help a ton too. Um, 
And then last but not least, that blackout, making sure that there's no lights on, like even the little ones, they can catch your eye. If like we periodically will wake up every single night at certain points, it's just kind of part of the sleep cycle. And the key is to make sure that everything is black, because that way, if our eyes pick up on even the littlest thing, it's going to help us wake up a little bit because we're catching that light like, oh, that's something's going on over there. If you don't have anything to catch, then you knock out that much earlier. So those are the big ones when it comes to sleep. Is it possible to lose weight while drinking alcohol? And the short answer of it is yes, it is possible. However, it does make it a lot harder when it's a consistent factor. Okay, because when we're talking about alcohol, like when we're talking about the cons, it really does a number on your body. It really wrecks your sleep. I know a lot of people will use uh, alcohol as a way to knock themselves out at night. So it a nightcap to get themselves to sleep. And even though it will knock you out and allow you to fall asleep, when you get that sleep, it is horrible quality sleep. You don't get the same um, benefits that you do when you don't drink alcohol before bed and you wake up way more tired than you otherwise would because of that lack of quality sleep. It also impacts your recovery. So if you guys like are consistently working out and you notice I know this happens with me all the time. If there was a hard workout that day and alcohol is involved that night, I'm always expecting the next day to hurt like hell as far as soreness goes, like that delayed onset muscle soreness because your body has not had the opportunity to recover because not only are we sacrificing that sleep, which is super important for recovery, we're also dehydrated. And when you're not as hydrated, you don't recover as fast. So that's another thing that plays into this. Another factor is calories because let's be honest, alcohol is made up from sugars. So carbohydrates like alcohol, alcohol, fun fact, has seven calories per gram. There's the macronutrients, which are carbs, protein, fat that are carbs and protein are four calories per gram. And then fat is nine calories per gram. But alcohol is that macronutrient that nobody ever mentions and it's seven but it's very tricky because it's not a consistent seven it's like all right we factor that in but there's so many other things going on like the fact that you move less the next day the fact that you don't get that quality sleep and you're not burning as many calories the next day so it affects your body more so than the other macronutrients so if we're drinking a lot, those calories can add up, especially if they're like margaritas, if they're like these like dessert type cocktails, like I, I love me an espresso martini and feel free to put in your favorite cocktails in the comments below. I, I'd love to know everybody's drink of choice, but let's be honest, like it's not good for us. It's It's okay to have it every once in a while, but it's not great. Another thing that happens when we put alcohol in the mix is that our decision making takes a bit of a dip, especially if we're pushing it to the point where we're tipsy or drunk, like that's when the food choices start really, really suffering. Okay. Because when we're inebriated, we don't want to go for a salad. We don't want to go for chicken and rice. We want to go for the greasy stuff, the salty stuff, the stuff that we really, really love to eat that we know we shouldn't be having a ton of, and that will make weight loss that much harder. And Along with that, there's a ton of different risks, especially as far as cancer is concerned. It is a carcinogen. Alcohol is a toxin. Let's call it what it is. It's just a fact. But that's 
kind of common sense, but we see these articles every once in a while. It's like, oh, if you have one glass of red wine at night, it's actually not bad for you. That turns out that's bullshit. Having alcohol consistently every single day is not good for you. Okay. But that doesn't mean that we can't enjoy it in moderation, because if we're talking about what we want to accomplish as far as weight loss goes, you can have it. But I will say this. I say weight loss specifically because fat loss can be impeded by this because if it does start having an effect on your hormones and different things like that and sleep, if you're losing weight, your body composition will not be as optimal as if alcohol was not in the equation. So you're going to be losing weight, but as far as percentage body fat and percentage lean muscle, you're going to be a little bit different than somebody who doesn't have alcohol in the equation at all. So people that do drink a good amount while they're losing weight, those are typically like the guys that really struggle with getting rid of that, that gut or the ladies, like when they can't get it off their hips or their butt or even their, their belly too. Like those are the areas that really, really struggle to lose the weight. And I've seen many people when they cut out alcohol completely, all of a sudden it starts coming off those areas. Now that's completely anecdotal. Everybody's a little bit different, but I'm just saying from personal experience, seeing this happen firsthand, if you really do want to lose it on those spots, try getting getting alcohol out of the equation completely or start limiting it because the way that you can have it in the mix and not experience all those negative side effects, like to that degree compared to somebody who drinks all the time. Like if you have it one to two times a week, that's probably like max for best performance would be two times per week. So ideally like back-to-back days so you can have a nice stretch of days where it's not in your system. Cause that's the problem with people that have one or two every single night. It's constantly your body is always prioritizing getting this toxin out rather than being at its most optimal state for burning body fat and building muscle. That's not the priority when alcohol is in the system. So if you're going to drink, do it one, maybe two times a uh, a week. And if you struggle with this, challenge yourself, like challenge yourself to do a week or two with no booze, because if for some reason you can't do a week, like one single week or two weeks without any alcohol, then that's when it's time to start thinking I might not have a good relationship with alcohol. I might need to consult a professional and say, hey, I need help with this. Like clearly it's an issue and I want to get, I want to not be held hostage by this addiction or this problem that I'm having. Like I want to be able to live my life without feeling like I need this stuff. Okay. So nothing wrong with asking for help because let's be honest, being semi addicted to alcohol is like a very accepted thing in our society. People kind of just like make it that it's for some reason, it's okay to go out to the bar and get plastered over and over and over again. And friends will be like, ah, he's just like that. Or she's just like that. it's, It's okay. And then it turns out that we have a problem. So it's definitely worth exploring and seeing if you are capable of doing a week or two without any and reach out for help if you need it. But that is my spiel on alcohol. Um, I hope that you guys found it valuable. I hope that it answered a few questions surrounding alcohol because it is a uh, hot topic. So if you guys have any other questions like this, feel free to pop them in the comments below. If you guys are listening on the podcast, get your butt in, in the group, ask your questions. <laughs>